The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Okay, church family, let's take our Bible and turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 19. Acts chapter 19. I was um, studying this last week and have a few people in the church that uh, will read with me during the week uh, whatever chapter or preaching text that I'm going to be dealing with uh, the following week and just to get their thoughts and, and um, uh, ideas in the text. And uh, I enjoy reading together like that. And when you come across a chapter like uh, chapter 19 of the book of Acts, uh, you just have to back up for a moment and say, man, that's bizarre. There's a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff going on in this chapter. And uh, you, have to, you have to kind of think through that and, and how that translates to where we are today. And then I uh, got to thinking a little bit about um, what happened down in uh, Parkland, Florida this past week with the uh, shootings and uh, just uh, how, how desperately evil the world is and um, uh, the sadness of the victims and their families and all that's going on there. And in a moment, we'll just pray for those families and for the inbreaking of the gospel. But it's not just there. It's around our country and around the world. Uh, we inoculate ourselves sometimes to the true evil in the world. But uh, I promise you that the uh, powers of darkness and the evil are permeating uh, our world and there are people that are losing their lives, their tragedies all the time. And yet when we come to a chapter like this, I think that we are reminded that even in the darkest hours and even in a world that has gone awry, even in a world where Satan and his demons seem to be running rampant and people are dying and, and tragedies all, all over the world, I think we can understand that Jesus Christ eventually conquers over all of the evil of the world. He conquered on the cross. He conquered through the resurrection. He is conquering the world through His people, His church, who are spreading the truth of Jesus around the world. And one day, Jesus Christ will come back into the world and He will set the world to rights. Amen? I'm thankful for that, especially in weeks like this. And maybe even as we move from the outward things that are going on in the world, even into the sphere of our own family and our own friends, and, and, and even into the circle of our own hearts, there are many that are here today, and you may have a, a storm, a problem, uh, something going on in your own life, and you're uncertain as to how all of that will work out and what will happen and, and all of the consequences. And I want you to understand that Jesus Christ, Christ is not only Lord of the universe, He is Lord of our hearts as well. So would you pray with me that the Lord would show us that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our Father, we do pray. Um, we pray today thinking of multiple things. We, we want to think of the family and friends down in Florida who have suffered this last week and Lord, the... Uh, the pain and the agony that goes along with that, emotional, mental. We pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters and churches in that area that 
they would reach out with open hands and open hearts and Lord, that they would meet the, the physical and emotional needs there of those people. In a greater sense, we pray for the inbreaking of the gospel upon lost souls. Lord, we think, uh, we think of the, the rampant mental health illness that is uh, going on around our country, and we pray, Lord, that our country would get a grasp on that, that would, we would see that uh, correctly and rightly, and Lord, that there would be more training and more help and uh, uh, more solutions for folks that are in those conditions. Father, we think of the racial relations in our own country, even in this month, Lord, and in these days, we think about leaders in the past who would stand up for right and good, and I pray that even in our own day and in our own church and in our own life that we would be the kind of believers that are not polarized from political parties and not polarized by our ideas, and Lord, but that we would come to unify around the Scripture and around Jesus Christ, and that we would not see men and women in black and white, but we would see Christ. Christ as all and in all. And the unifying theme of all the world is that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, was came into this world, lived and died for our sins and rose again. And it is coming again and for all of the world that will put their faith and confidence in Jesus. You will make it right. And so I pray that today. I pray as we uh, look at this small portion of chapter number 19 today and we see that it takes place in the context of such evil and the powers of darkness and, and, and exorcisms and all of these kinds of things going around, that, that the, the focal point of the chapter would be that Jesus Christ wins, that He conquers over the devil. And if He conquers over the devil and over the darkness, He conquers our hearts as well too. I pray for all the people under the sound of my voice today, member and visitor, saved and lost, that this good day we would find our hope in Jesus Christ alone. For there is no other hope. Lord, may we leave here today breathing in the truth that the Apostle Peter would say, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us now as we study, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, let me, uh, let me help us fit uh, uh, this chapter in context. Uh, those of you that like to study, I know that you'll be right here with me. Those of you that are just looking for the punchline of the sermon, just kind of stay with me for a few minutes. We'll, we'll get there uh, soon enough, but uh, we're trying to finish up this book of Acts uh, through the end of March, and then as we get to Easter, we will begin a new series. And so uh, sometimes we're having to take a chapter or two at a time. And so today we want to cover the entirety of chapter number 19. And as I was reading and walking this week through the chapter, I just simply realized there was no way that I could teach you or work through everything that is in chapter number 19. So I'm just going to give you a few pointers on how to understand the text better. You can go home and read it. Hopefully you're reading through the, the book of Acts and Maybe you can put some of this together. So there's a, a few different ways that you might be able to break up or outline um, chapter number 19. The first would be, now here's an alliterated outline for you. Disciples, deliverance, 
and Diana. All right? Disciples, deliverance, and Diana. If you were to look at the first uh, maybe seven to ten verses, you'll find that the Apostle Paul finds himself coming to Ephesus and he discovers these disciples. And when he says to them, he says, Listen, your disciples, that's great. Were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, who in the world is the Holy Spirit, right? And he, he said, well, whose disciples are you? And they said, we are John the Baptist's disciples. Well, they certainly could not have been John the Baptist's disciples because John the Baptist himself even proclaimed when he came uh, calling, he said, there comes one after me. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and he is greater than me. And these guys say, we're disciples of John the Baptist, but we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul says, well, you need to be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and they are. And then from verse number 11, say down through verse number 20, that's where we'll focus our attention in a few minutes. But you'll find that there is great deliverance in an evil and in a wicked generation and with all kind of magical things going on, the dark hearts, so to speak, exorcism, that Jesus is lifted up, the Word of God is proclaimed, and disciples are made. And then from verse 21 down to the end of the chapter, you might maybe say that would be uh, the whole idea of Diana. And so there in the ancient world in Ephesus, they had a temple, um, uh, and, and it might be represented by a different name there in your translation, but the temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. It was uh, She was a, a false goddess, a false idol, but they had this huge uh, monument there to her and this huge temple. And so the apostle uh, Paul is preaching and, and giving the gospel. And here's what happens. All these people start to get saved and they start leaving the goddess Diana. They, stop, they start leaving that, uh, that temple and following the Lord Jesus. And this guy named Demetrius, he causes a huge uproar in the city and he says, hey, these guys are taking away our livelihood. These guys are taking away our religion. And in fact, the guy actually gets the gospel straight. He says the apostle Paul has come here and he is preaching that that gods that are made with hands are no gods at all. And you know what happens? The entire city, this huge mob gets together and they start shouting and screaming and they're mad at Paul. They want to tear him limb from limb. They get mad at the disciples. And in fact, Paul has to be kind of escorted away. And here's the thing. This huge mob of people are shouting hours on end to the goddess Diana. And somebody walks in in the middle of this chapter and says, hey, what are you, what's, what are you guys upset about? And half the crowd says, we don't have any idea, but we're mad. And isn't that the way the, the world is today? You, you see a mob, you see people that are angry, you see people that get all upset, and you talk to them, what are you upset about? We don't know, but we're upset. Chapter number 19, disciples, deliverance, Diana. You probably could also maybe break the chapter up like this. In the first seven verses, the Apostle Paul asks an important question to these disciples were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Spirit of God? Wow, what an important question. You see, my friends, doesn't matter how, uh, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter what church that you attend. doesn't matter how many good deeds you've done in your life. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you are not a disciple of Christ. 
If the Spirit of God is not living in you and translated you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son, if you don't have a difference in your life because God is living in you, then you're not really a disciple at all. What an important question. Are you filled with the Spirit? Or do you have the Spirit of God inside you? And then a little bit later on in this chapter, you'll find that, uh, and we'll talk about it in a minute, that uh, the sons of Sceva try and manipulate the power of God and they want to cast out devils. And here's what the evil spirit asks, right? Paul asks an important question. Do you have the Spirit of God? The evil spirit now turns around and he asks an important question. He says, I know who Jesus is. And I know who Paul is. Who are you? Who are you? Are you using derived power? Are you living off of something else? Are you thinking that the Christian life is mechanical and you can just do it how you want to? Or are you really tapped into the source of the power that comes from God through Christ and through His Spirit? Are you doing somebody else's work under a sham? Are you a fake? Are you a fraud? Or are you the real deal when it comes to your Christian walk? At the very end of the chapter, the Bible says that the town clerk goes into the auditorium where all these people are chanting and they're worked up into a frenzy and they want the Apostle Paul to, to leave. And the town clerk in this nonchalant kind of lib way, just, he says, hey, listen, don't you know that this city is given over to Diana? And at that, the work stops. You see, they came to the point where they were unwilling to listen to the truth of the Word of God. They weren't necessarily angry anymore. They were more just neutral. They didn't care. And they knew in their hearts that they were not going to believe the truth. And can I say to you, that's an important question to ask yourself as well. Maybe you're here today and you've heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and your heart is still cold and still closed. I want you to understand that there will come a time in your life where God will not give you another opportunity to be saved. While you have the light, believe in the light. While you have an opportunity to be saved, be saved today. Trust Jesus with all of your heart. Don't think that you can live your life the way that you want and one day on your deathbed, you'll get your ticket into heaven. That is not the way that it works. One preacher used to say, don't uh, burn the candle for the devil and blow the smoke in God's face. That could be a way that you break the chapter up. just want to help you in your reading of chapter number 19. Now, let's look at these verses for a moment. Uh, just a, a few points today. So first of all, let me, uh, let me kind of frame this text up for you. Look at the, verse number 10. It says, This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And then look at verse number 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. You see how on both ends of the text that we're just about to read, that the emphasis that the author, the emphasis that Luke wants you to know is that the word of the living God multiplies and grows and it cannot be stopped. And even in a dark and a wicked and a spirit-filled world, the word of the living God about Jesus Christ still wins the day. It still conquers the heart. It 
still saves people out of wickedness, and it still redeems the world. The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. Look at verse number 11 down through verse number 20. I'll read this section. We'll back up and look at a few thoughts. First of all, it says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that the handkerchiefs or aprons or you might even put in their sweat rags were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. And watch closely. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and founded 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Is that not an interesting passage of Scripture? So let me give you maybe uh, three, maybe four instances in this passage of what we might call power encounters, power encounters. So look back at verse number 11. It says, first of all, God was performing extraordinary or extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out from them. First of all, I would say that there is a power encounter here in which the Lord Jesus Christ conquers even the diseases of the world, even the darkness of the diseases that plagued the world at that time and the world that plagued the world at this time, that Christ and His power, the Lord and His power overcome and dispel of the diseases. Let me point out a few things. First of all, you should understand from verse number 11 that God was performing the extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. It was not Paul by himself. It was never Peter by himself. It is never us by himself. And by the way, I want to say this. I want to stop and maybe help some of that heresy and false teaching. People that you watch on the television or you see at massive conferences that lay their hands on somebody and say, be healed, and they try and heal people. These are charlatans. They are liars, and they are not acting on behalf of God. Does God heal? Yes, but He does it through the prayers and the power of His people through Christ, and He is the one that receives the glory. I want to tell you something. If you can go to a conference and somebody bang you on the head and heal you from cancer, then that person is a horrible human being if they don't go to Wake Med and Rex and UNC Chapel Hill tomorrow and spend 23 hours out of the day healing sick people. Amen? 
And furthermore, do you know what those sorry individuals do when somebody doesn't receive the healing that they say? They say, it's because you lacked faith. Shame on you. Shame on them. As if somehow God is a slot machine and if you have enough faith, you can put it in and get out the package that you want. That's not the way that God works. God does heal diseases. And there are times where God allows those diseases to carry themselves forth in this lifetime and ultimately He heals in the next lifetime. Isn't that right? Be very careful about telling somebody if you have a formula and you have this amount of faith and you do this, this, and this, that God is obligated to give you that healing. He's not. And furthermore, the glory does not go to a particular individual. The glory goes to God Himself when healing takes place. God was healing through an extraordinary manner here. And you say, what was going on? No, the, uh, and, and here, yeah, man, there was a goofball years ago. I don't know if he's still on television, but this fellow was on TV and he was selling people handkerchiefs that he had prayed over and soaked in holy water. And if you sent an amount of money, he would send it to you and you'd have a blessing of life. I'm telling you that there's a special place in hell for people like that. You know how many people watch those programs, send their money in, and are duped over by those kind of people. That's wrong. That's not right. The handkerchief that it says here, it means a sweat rag. You see, the Apostle Paul was being a tent maker and preaching the gospel at the same time. The word here means, it comes from the word that means the band that he put around his, uh, his head and the apron that he would put around his body, and it was soaked in sweat. And what it says here is that it was an extraordinary miracle and that they were taking those sweat rags, so to speak, they were taking them to the sick, laying upon them, and God was bringing healing from disease in their life. Now let me pause for a moment and maybe give you uh, two or three things to think about. There are a lot of liberal scholars that scoff at this passage and they say, oh, that's uh, spurious and and that never happened and that's fake and it's corrupt and it was added to the text. But I, I would submit to you that I don't think that that's what it is at all. In fact, I think Luke, the author of this passage, helps us to understand uh, a few things. First of all, Luke wants you to know that this is not even a run-of-the-mill miracle. He adds an adjective in there, an extraordinary or a one-time or an infinite here, this, this great miracle that's going on. And so Luke wants you to know this is not just a miracle. This is an extraordinary act of God. And this is not the kind of thing that should be happening all the time. This is not the kind of thing that you are in control of. This is not the kind of thing that some preacher or some televangelist can do. No, this is a miracle that comes directly from God by His power and it is isolated in this passage. It is not just a miracle. It is an extraordinary miracle. Furthermore, Luke writes this passage and he separates what goes on here with the Apostle Paul from what's going on in verse number 17 and 18, and that is the magic and the sorcery that is going on in Ephesus itself. This is not something that is being conjured up from below. This is something that has been granted by grace from above. Furthermore, the 
Luke would want you to know that when you see this miracle that's going on here, what you should understand is twofold, that this is an affirmation of the apostleship of the Apostle Paul. This miracle and some of the others really point out the fact that Paul is an apostle of God. And so it is bolstering and lifting up the fact that he is the one who's going to speak the word of God. And do you see the whole passage is geared around God's word. I would say to us also that this passage points us to the fact that Paul looks like Jesus. Wasn't there a lady who had an issue of blood for about 12 years and she reached out and grabbed the hem of the garment of Jesus and was made whole? So I don't think we want to discount the miracle here. I think what we want to see is the power encounter that the Lord Jesus Christ has power over disease. Now let me make a couple of applications here for you before we move to the next one. I, I believe that our church, we should be praying constantly for those who are sick, those who have diseases, those who are hurting, and we should be praying for healing. We should be doing it appropriately in understanding that we in ourselves don't have the power to heal, that this is not about us, but it is about God. But we should be calling and asking for the Lord to heal people and to save people and to deliver people. But we should also understand there are times when God does heal and there are times when the Lord allows life to play out. But ultimately, all healing belongs to Him, if not in this lifetime, in the lifetime to come. Amen? So as careful as I am theologically to tell you not to get caught up in all of that healing mess that you see, I want to back up and say, as Baptists, let's be careful too that we don't forget that we serve a supernatural God. Amen? And He has the power to heal. And He has the power to do extraordinary things. And He is a good and a loving and a merciful God. So let us look to Him. Let us call upon Him to have the power over disease, to heal our brothers and sisters, to heal people that they might come to the Gospel. But let us also remember that what is most important is not the healing of the diseased body, but it is the healing of the diseased soul. And just... Just for kicks here, let me also, um, let me just add this in here. I'll deal with it at another time. The Apostle Paul and Luke in this passage are very careful to separate disease and the evil spirits that were attacking people. I've heard some people say before, you've got the demon of cancer. You, you have the demon of alcoholism. You have the demon of this and the demon of that. That's not what this text is saying. The Luke is making a distinction between disease and darkness. So be careful about telling somebody, you've got this demon, you've got that demon, you've got this demon. No, you don't know that. That's not your call. Uh, and furthermore, I want you to be careful. In fact, I was talking with a, a, a family in church about this with uh, somebody else. Be careful about telling somebody, you, you've got the demon of anger right? You've got the demon of alcoholism. Because as soon as you say that, what you do is take the responsibility away from them. Right? I don't have to worry about working on my anger or my alcoholism if it's a demon. I just need to pray for deliverance. No, you're responsible before God for your actions. And so you need to pray for deliverance and you also need to walk faithfully with Jesus and be delivered from that. Amen?
All right? Look at the second power encounter. Now you see they moves from disease to demons. So he says here in verse number 13, uh, but also some of the Jewish exorcists, right? And some of you, when you read that word, you might be thinking of the 1970s movie, The, the Exorcist. And uh, if you haven't seen it, don't see it. It's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, and, uh, but uh, also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from a place to place, watch now, they attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, probably a high priest, order here. A Jewish chief priest were doing this. And look what it says. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, can we just stop for a moment and say that that's pretty scary? This guy has a demon. And what are these brothers trying to do? They're saying, hey, listen, we adjure you by the Jesus that that guy's preaching. Be careful about that kind of Christianity. You see, the Lord, there is power in the name of Jesus to heal. There is power in the name of Jesus to save. There is power in the name of Jesus to cast out demons. But it's not mechanical and it's not brought about by second hand. You have to be in touch with the power of God in that moment yourself. And it seems to me from the text that the Lord was using in an extraordinary manner the Apostle Paul. And rather than trying to steal the glory, rather than trying to do something that God didn't want you to do, rather than trying to be involved in something that you're not having any business in, you should, instead of seeking that glory, you should be praying and pushing and giving glory to God and seeking to serve in a manner not mechanically requiring God to do something that He didn't promise you. And it says that uh, the guy jumped on them and beat them half to death and they ran out of there naked. Can I say something to you? Be careful about playing with powers that are beyond your capability. Careful about that. Follow the Lord Jesus. Listen to the Word of God. Give the Gospel. Use the power of Jesus correctly. Be careful about trying to do something. I, uh, Wednesday night we had a talk uh, and I was uh, talking about the doctrine of demons and angels and I told uh, uh, the group Wednesday night about uh, years and years ago I was uh, working at the rescue mission in Chattanooga and uh, one night I was sitting in my office and this guy and his girlfriend uh, come in from the outside and the office door was open and they walked in and uh, slammed the door behind them and I'm behind the desk and I was like, oh man, what's going on here? And so I stood up to greet them And I don't know what came out of that dude's mouth, but it scared me half to death. He started speaking in some other voice. And I'm a big guy. And I've been in a few tussles myself in life. And I'm telling you, I was paralyzed with fear. I wish I could tell you that I was some kind of strong Christian and I just commanded the demon to come out of him. But since this isn't being recorded, right? Nobody will ever hear this. Yeah. I had tears coming out of my eyes. I couldn't move. And all I could do was say, I believe and trust in Jesus. And by His, by His blood we're saved. Something like that. 
And he turned around and walked out and I never saw him again. The Bible says in the book of Jude that when uh, Michael the archangel was wrestling against the devil for the body and the bones of Moses, that he did not dare bring a word against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You be really, really careful in your Christian life about thinking that you can stand up to the powers of darkness and you can just call demons out and all that bunch of craziness. No, you can't. And in fact, I want to tell you something. If God were to roll back the spiritual world right now and you could see what was going on in this room, all of us would probably faint. You don't have any power in yourself. The only power that you have is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. We call upon Jesus and His mercy and His grace and His goodness. And as we go into a dark world that is filled with demons and filled with evil, we must have a posture of humility and a posture of glory to Christ and a posture that calls upon Him to save the lost, to hold back the darkness, to deliver and to call out the demons of the world. It is not in us, but it is in Christ Jesus alone. Amen? Amen. Now, you may not go out this week and run into somebody who's demon-possessed. So how do we make this applicable in your own life? I will assure you that in your life, you will experience the oppression of the devil. It happens in relationships. It happens at work. It happens in our own Christian hearts. It happens with depression and oppression. It happens with feelings of suicide. You know, there are people in this room right now, you'd never, ever, ever open that door to anybody in this room, but you've had secret thoughts of taking your life just like that. And you know that if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus, you might not be here today. I want to tell you, if you are struggling, if you are hurting, if you're in depression, whatever's going on in your life, you may need to get some counseling and some clinical help but I want to tell you as a first resort, run to Jesus Christ and plead for Him to cover your life and to help you and to destroy the darkness and to take away depression. Ask Christ for help. Don't just lean on yourself. Let me make one more point from the passage we'll finish today. There's a power over disease and power over demons, but I want to show you here power over what would we say? Just the powers of darkness or the occult. And look at how, look at what happens. I, I love this text. Look at verse 15. Uh, no, look at verse 17 for time. This became known to all Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus and fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Aren't you glad that even in their stupidity, Jesus was still able to get glory out of it, right? And look at verse number 18. Many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found 50,000 pieces of silver. Hey, the Lord brings deliverance to broken-hearted people who will give themselves to Him. Notice the progression in that passage. When they believed, those who believed in the Gospel that Paul was preaching, that Jesus died and was buried and rose again for our redemption, when they believed, they kept coming. And they kept confessing. What does that look like in your life? 
If you're here today and you say, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you keep coming to Him? And do you keep uh, confessing your sins? And do you keep giving up those evil practices? Let me ask you that. There might even be some believers here today who that was true of your life at one point, but you've stopped kind of coming and you've stopped confessing and some of those evil practices you've picked back up along the way. And today is the day if you believe in Jesus and you say, I am a disciple of Christ, that you look in your life and say, I need to come to Him more. I need to confess my sin more and I need to give up those old habits of life and put my faith and confidence in Jesus and love Him and adore him and walk with him every day of my life. I need to make him the king of my life. Would you say that today in your life? If you had something in your life that was worth 50,000 pieces of silver, would you give that up for Jesus? Now everybody in this room says, oh yes. When you go home and you're all alone sometime, I don't know when that would be. Would you take just a nanosecond and ask that, that same question to yourself again? We talked in uh, the uh, guys, uh, youth guys class today in Romans, and we just said, hey, listen, this week, would you just take time, just a, a few minutes sometime this week, and think about what you set your mind on, right? Uh, if, we set our th- if we set our minds on the things of the flesh or the things of the world, it's death. If we set our, things on the, uh, our minds on the things of the Spirit, it is life and it is peace. And we just said, let's, let's just take a moment, let's take a little inventory this week uh, as guys, and let's see, what is it that you set your mind on the most, right? And uh, we, of course, you know, I was confessing to them. We're walking back and forth. Sometimes I set my mind more on food than I do on Jesus. And you know what that produces in me? Death. Sometimes I set my mind more on college basketball than I do on Jesus. And you know what that ultimately produces in me? Death, not life. And maybe you would do what our youth guys are going to do this week. Maybe you would just ask the Lord to help you analyze your mind, sir. Ma'am, this week, just analyze for a few minutes. What do I think about the most? What do I want the most? What do I protect the most? What do I get frustrated when I don't have the most? Is it a relationship with somebody else? Is it a particular television program? Is it, is it some space in your life? Is it you? What is it in your life that you give the most attention to? Because if you give some more attention to anything else in your life than Jesus, it's an idol and it'll produce death in your life. Let's be the kind of people that come to Him, that confess, that give over those old things, even if they're expensive, and make much of Jesus. I'll tell you this, and we'll, we'll close. I was thinking about this this morning, early this morning. It's a broken illustration, okay, and you'll get it, right? But years ago, I'd been saved, and man, I was trying to love the Lord and grow, and I was trying to get old stuff out of my life and put the new things of Jesus in my life. And I had a CD collection. I know we don't play CDs anymore, right? Uh, you, you have iTunes, but back in the day, before, I'll be, some of y'all remember tape collections. Y'all remember that? Okay, I got a couple of y'all, all the younger people, you don't remember, but at nighttime, you would get a blank tape, or if you didn't have enough money, you would just put scotch tape over top of that one piece, you would put it up in your tape player, and you put it on your favorite radio station, you'd hit record and go to sleep, and that way the next day you had a mixtape of all the stuff, I can see some of y'all are glazed over, all right, listen, I had this CD collection, and I remember, I love Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, and I love Journey. 
and I loved Van Halen. And I had all these CDs and I remember I was, I was, the Lord was working in my heart, man. I was coming down to the altar and week in and week out. God was moving in me and I wanted to be holy. I wanted to walk with him. I wanted to serve him. And I knew I had all these things going on in my life. And I remember one day I was at camp and I was like, Jesus, you can have my CD collection. And I, I burned them all. And the other day I was thinking, man, I'd like to have that Bob Seger's greatest hits. <laughs> You, you, you know, you see where the illustration breaks down. I'm not saying that Bob Seger is sorcery and magic and a false idol. However, can you, can you listen to me for a minute? Sometimes things that are good can be an idol. Do I still listen to Bob Seger every once in a while? Yeah. Yeah. But at that moment in my life... That music was dominating my soul. And I had my mind set more on that music than I did on my Jesus. And it was right. Stuff cost me a lot of money. It was right there. power encounters. Of course He has the power to heal disease and of course He has the power to tear out demons from people. But you want to know the greatest miracle of all? That Christ Jesus died for you to tear out your old heart and put in a new heart. And I think maybe there's some people here today lost and saved. And you've got your own Bob Seger collection somewhere in the corner of your life. You have something that's more important to you right now than Jesus. I know I was a goofball. I remember in 11th grade, I was playing basketball. I loved it. I gave myself over to it. I think I told y'all, or I told the youth one time, I used to go outside at nighttime and practice dribbling in the dark just so that I wouldn't have to look. I just, all these dumb things. I, I just, I loved basketball. I gave myself over to it. And uh, about halfway through my uh, 11th grade, God tapped on my heart and said, you know, this basketball is way more important to you than me. I should have done right. I should have waited to the end of the season, but I didn't. I quit halfway through the season. I just gave it up. I've grown. I was a teenager at the time. I've grown and understand now. And I'm telling you, that don't, if you're playing a sport, it doesn't mean that you have it as God in your life. Don't quit. If you're in the middle and you're on a team, I did it all the wrong way. I, did, I tell you, I did it all the wrong way. But I stand here a few years later and I'm telling you, if God's turning something in your heart right now that's more important than walking with Him, a job, a relationship, a game, get some appropriate advice. Nobody was, I didn't have anybody to go and say, and they say, hey, you know, you don't have to quit basketball. You could add this, you could do this. I didn't have all of that. I just knew my heart was turning. There's counsel here. We love you. We'll walk with you no matter where you are and what's going on. But if God is turning, turning something in your heart and you say, I know that's an idol, you need to do business with the Lord. True believers lay those things behind. They have a power encounter with Jesus and their lives are never the same just like these people. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment.
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Hey, maybe right now is an opportunity for you just to pray. In a moment, we'll stand, we'll sing. Many of you brothers, sisters, sisters that are here with us, you know how we do this. These altars are open. Feel free to come and pray down here. We'll pray right where you are. If you need assistance, I'm here. There's others that would pray with you. But would you just take a moment and search your heart and say, Lord, is there anything inside of me that I'm, I'm just giving more over to than I am to you? If you're here today and you don't have Christ as the King of your heart, you... You are like these people in Ephesus. The powers of darkness have a hold of your heart and only Jesus can break it. Give your life to Him today. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.